Time flies, right? Time flies when you're having fun. I heard somebody say, but if all I am is fun, then baby, let me know. Don't want to get in your way. Uh-huh. How can anybody be bored at a time like this? If you're bored, then you're not paying attention to what is going on, right? Really, you're not. Really. Not paying attention at all. These are the days of our lives. My name is G, I represent the Academy. Information to sustain the greatness of this nation. Hmm. Today I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. Um, I want to look more in depth at some highly specific subjects related to what is happening behind the scenes. Who are the men and women behind the curtain? Yep. Who's pulling the strings? Who are the puppet masters? Hmm. Who are the puppet masters? How is it where you are? You know, it's interesting here that sun peeps and pokes out from behind the clouds when it does. The light is bright. The day is beautiful. Everything glistens, the sand, the sea. But when the sun hides itself away, my, does it get cold and dark, right? It gets cold and dark when the crowning fire in the sky is unable to touch us. The crown, the corona, the corona, the corona. I wonder if it's got anything to do with the sun. Ever think about that? Ever think about that at all? How? Basically, the virus is a deficiency predominantly caused by a lack of sunlight. There are other nutritional factors. There are always other factors. But think about that, huh? Think about it. Just consider it. <laughs> Let it swim around your temple for a while. Are you, uh, are you comfortable? <laughs> are you comfortable? The following information is taken from a website called the UK Column. I don't know the orientation of the website. I don't know the orientation of the writers of this and the other articles. 
that we will discuss. However, the information is mint and that's what matters. Here we go. UK column, coronavirus, who controls the British government response to COVID-19, part one, by Vanessa Bilay. <laughs> There's a name. The welfare of humanity is always the alibi of tyrants. Albert Camus. As Britain hurtles headlong towards neo-feudalist governance with heightened surveillance, micromanagement of society and an uptick in fascistic policing of the draconian measures imposed to combat the threat of COVID-19, it is perhaps time to analyze the real forces behind this new normal. There is now serious doubt over the correlation between lockdown and saving lives. Reality is creeping into the COVID-19 dialogue. It is becoming apparent that people are getting sick because they are being isolated and effectively living under house arrest. Condemned as murderers if they so much as think about breaking curfew. Being snitched on by neighbours for gathering more than two people together in their back gardens. It's so true, it's so true. If you're catching the video version, allow me to uh, enlarge the text for your benefit. Hmm. The following graph was produced by UK Column and demonstrates the lack of correlation between lockdown and saving lives. Basically, Non-lockdown countries such as Sweden, Iceland, Belarus, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan and Mexico have, in comparison with lockdown countries, locked, locked down countries such as the UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Belgium and the USA, they have, the non-lockdown countries have significantly lower death rates, significantly lower with one exception the country of Sweden. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder what uh, Sweden's level of underlying health problems are. I wonder what their situation is on previously vaccinated members of society there. Um, I think there was a graph about that in a previous presentation can't remember the statistics right now. Um, anyway, still something important to consider. It's a numbers game, right? The numbers game is acting in many instances as a smoke screen. It is impossible to rely upon official statistics that vary wildly from one website to another. Statistics that rely upon unreliable and sporadic testing procedures. Um, which are part of the plan, and based upon death certificates that misrepresent the actual cause of death as COVID-19, regardless of pre-existing medical conditions. Statistics too that were set in stone very early on in the development stages, when the perspective was limited and compressed, therefore a true picture before, excuse me, before a true picture could be seen. The newly emerging statistics are now increasingly undermining initial conclusions and pointing to the futility and negative consequences of a lockdown. 
according to Afshin Ratasi, new uh, new report, Barclay Brothers Telegraph claiming is claiming that an estimated 7,500 people were killed by the coronavirus in the UK care homes. Uh, Boris Johnson's government has not been revealing numbers to the media, claiming they couldn't calculate them. So, and this is uh, Boris Johnson, of course, who has stated that he believes there are far too many people on the planet. And of course, it's interesting to governments that this would ease their, um, what I would call growing pension crisis, where as populations get older, governments are forced to support these people with the money that theoretically has been saved. Theoretically has been saved. Of course it hasn't, it's been spent. Sorry to tell you that, it's all been spent. As if the money would sit somewhere doing nothing, right? It's now accepted that there is a high mortality rate amongst the elderly in care homes in the UK and globally. Among the same elderly civilians who are being asked to sign do not resuscitate forms. Elderly citizens being asked to resign do not resuscitate forms. Let that sink in. This amounts to signing their own death warrant should they present any of the COVID-19 symptoms. They will be neglected, isolated from their families when they're at their most vulnerable and left alone to die, even though it is possible that they have not corrected, contracted excuse me, the virus. Right. I don't know if I don't know if that even sinks in. Right. I don't know if that even sinks in. Um, when people when people hear it, right. And, and these are, this is a government, British government, mandated that um, people who theoretically could have the virus should be moved to care homes, where there are already the most vulnerable people. Um, John Pilger, a journalist, wrote, Isolation is a proven silent killer. The UK government is silent about the expert estimate of 150,000 deaths as a result of the lockdown, not the virus. As a result of the lockdown, the lockdown, not the virus. This figure may prove as unreliable as the estimates modelled by Imperial College, but isn't it time to break the silence? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Silent, silence, <laughs> they are silent. Silence can be violence, that's the point. It is is it is its own kind of violence. Instead of offering proactive and positive suggestions that will enable our immune systems to combat the disease, the British government is ensuring conditions that will suppress immune systems to dangerous levels and create the perfect environment for COVID-19 to flourish. Britain has now received an estimated 1.4 million new benefit claims for welfare payments. I, I, I could take every sentence in this article and read it twice because, because it, it's, all, uh, it's all mint, right? Britain has now received an estimated 1.4 million new benefit claims for welfare payments. That's about seven times the normal level. The government has pledged to bail out 80% of pay of workers who are temporarily laid off in furlough schemes, but I have personally spoken to self-employed individuals who find themselves falling between the cracks that qualify them for financial support and now face an indefinite period of time without income. 
and so the destruction of the independent businesses. These measures are being imposed in a country that since 2012 has seen an exponential growth in child poverty to potentially sub-Victorian levels. I could read every sentence twice, sub-Victorian levels. In March 2019, the number of children living in absolute poverty, absolute poverty grew by a staggering 200,000 in a 12-month period to a total of 3.7 million. How will this number be further impacted by lockdown? I think it's obvious. How did we arrive at this point? Who steered the UK government towards this questionable and alarmist lockdown policy? The unexamined assumption is that conclusions were formed on the basis of sound epidemiological analysis and research by doctors and scientists who care about our welfare. The reality is what we will examine in this article. Neil Ferguson, a professor at Imperial College, was responsible for the model of response to COVID-19. His virtual model was recommended by the World Health Organization and it passed through into policy with virtually no scrutiny, no scrutiny, no peer-reviewed study, no scrutiny, no examination of the models of the modeling system. Ferguson's dramatic prediction of 500,000 deaths in the UK became the foundation of Boris Johnson's U-turn from herd immunity to collective quarantine. While some understood that Ferguson later reduced his mortality calculations, he actually doubled down on his projections on Twitter, insisting that without drastic lockdown measures being taken, the number would be even higher. The question is, who is Neil Ferguson? Ferguson is acting director of the Vaccine Impact Modelling Consortium, which is based at Imperial College in London. According to Ferguson's biography on the website, much of his work is applied in forming disease control policy making by public and general health institutions. Is that a job? Wow. The professor who derailed Johnson's semblance of herd immunity strategy is no stranger to controversy and is described as having a patchy record of modeling pandemics by one of his academic peers, Professor Michael Thrusfield of Edinburgh University, an expert, an expert in animal diseases. Ferguson was instrumental in the modeling of the British government's response to foot and mouth disease, FMD, in 2001, which Thrusfield describes as not fit for purpose, uh, 2006, and seriously flawed in 2012. Thrusfield has highlighted the limitations of Ferguson's mathematical modeling methods and applied the doubts he expressed over FMD to the current COVID-19 crisis response. An estimated 12 million animals were slaughtered as a result of Ferguson's 2001 initiative. The farming community was devastated by suicides, bankruptcies, and bankruptcies, sorry, that irretrievably altered the landscape of British agriculture, forcing healthy small holdings into agri-corporate mergers and empowering the EU's central governance in the agriculture sector. Oh yeah, it was all part of a plan. Same people, same people in control. Oh yeah. Insight, slaughtered by suspicion, a documentary made by UK Column in 2015, provides a shocking insight into the suffering precipitated by Ferguson's model and the new model 
new norm, sorry, imposed on Britain's farming community. The following is a statement made by one of the contributors to the programme. 12 million animals, meat and livestock commission statistic, were slaughtered, but that did not include lambs at foot, aborted lambs, calves or piglets. Further tens of thousands of chickens were slaughtered in the early months, on welfare grounds, apparently. 88% of all animals slaughtered had not contracted, had not contracted FMD, Source Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Great Orton Airfield was used to slaughter sheep under the voluntary, voluntary cull that was anything but voluntary and farmers not participating were ruthlessly threatened. There was only one mild case of FMD recorded from the thousands of blood tests done in Great Orton. Source DEFRA. Are you with me? Are you still with me? Because swings and roundabouts, it'll swing back around. There was a travelator that ran from the slaughter tent at Great Orton to the graves. This ran 16 hours a day, transporting dead young lambs. Slaughtermen working there told me that many of the lambs were buried alive. Buried alive buried alive. The man that advised Blair during the fiasco was, as many will know, Professor Ferguson of Imperial College. He was reportedly sacked by DEFRA late on during the epidemic, but the damage had been done. Professor Ferguson was awarded an OBE in 2002 for his work during FMD 2001. He was awarded an order of the British Empire in 2002, Ferguson predicted that up to five, excuse me, up to 50,000 people would die from variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, better known as mad cow disease, increasing to 150,000 if the epidemic expanded to include sheep. The reality is, since 1990, 178 people in the UK have died from VCJD, according to the National. CJD Research and Surveillance Unit at the University of Edinburgh. In 2005, Ferguson claimed that up to 200 million people would be killed by bird flu or H5N1. By early 2006, the WHO had only linked 78 deaths to the virus out of 147 reported cases. I mean, just, just stop for a second to consider that statistic. He claimed that 200 million people would die and there were only 78 deaths. I mean, how do you, how do you, you even miss the target? That's, that's, you know, it's like landing on the wrong planet, right? In 2009, Ferguson and his team at Imperial College advised the government that swine flu or H1N1 would probably kill 65,000 people in the UK. In the end, swine flu claimed the lives of 457 people in the UK. Now, in 2020, Ferguson and Imperial College have released a report which claims that half a million Britons and 2.2 million Americans may be killed by COVID-19. The report has still not been peer-reviewed, still not been peer-reviewed. Despite this, Ferguson's glaring record of mathematical sensationalism, the British government has adopted the devastating socio-economic lockdown that Ferguson has proposed. Question, why is the British government so quick to follow Ferguson's plan? Number one, Gavi and Imperial College. 
The VIMC is hosted by the Department of Infectious Disease Epidemiology at Imperial College. VIMC is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and by Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Um, the Vaccine Alliance, Gavi's own title for itself. Bill and Melinda Gates began funding Imperial College in 2006, four years before the Gates Foundation launched the Global Health Leaders Launch Decades of Vaccines Collaboration. <laughs> what? The GHLLDVC. And one year after Ferguson had demonstrated his penchant for overblown projections on mortality numbers from H5N1. Up to the end of 2018, the Gates Foundation has sponsored Imperial College with a whopping $185 million that makes Gates the second largest sponsor. Beaten to the top spot on the podium by the Wellcome Trust, a British research charity which began funding Imperial College prior to Ferguson's FMD debacle and which by the end of 2018 had already provided Imperial with over $400 million in funding. Let's examine the Wellcome Trust's connections in part two. Yep, this is only part one, right? The Gates Foundation established the GHLLDVC in collaboration with the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and the US National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID. The following is taken from the Gates Foundation website. The Global Vaccine Action Plan will enable greater coordination across all stakeholder groups, national governments, multilateral organizations, civil society, the private sector and philanthropic organizations, and will identify critical policy resource and other gaps that must be addressed to realize the life-saving potential of vaccines. Oh yeah, um, I'm sure Africa agrees, right? The Collaborations Leadership Council at the time included the Director General of the World Health Organization, the Director of NIAID, sorry, the Director of UNICEF, the President of the Gates Foundation Global Health, and the Chair of the African Malaria Alliance. The Steering Committee included the Director of Immunization, the UK Department of Health, and many other representatives from the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and associated organizations. It is a cluster of immunization-focused individuals controlling the policy of world health governing bodies who claim to be neutral. Right. Who claim to be neutral. The World Health Organization, private company, was nominated as the directing and coordinating authority on international health within the United Nations system and was set up to be responsible for shaping the health research agenda among other tasks linked to the policy of global immunization. UNICEF, the world's largest provider of vaccines for developing countries, sorry, has on the ground access to children in over 150 territories and countries. Uh, that would be around three quarters of the world. We are already seeing the potential for some serious conflict of interest behind the Ferguson model on COVID, and this will become even more apparent as the connections are now made to an entire pharmaceutical complex potentially protecting its own interests over any genuine concerns for the health and welfare of global populations. Gavi the Vaccine Alliance. Um, 
Gavi is the vaccine alliance which brings together public and private sectors with the shared goal of creating equal access to vaccines for children wherever they live. Because children want access to vaccines, right? Um, it's an alliance of um, the World Bank, donor countries and governments, research agencies, private partners, uh, vaccine manufacturers, uh -huh. civil society organizations, implementing country governments, the World Health Organization, blah, blah, blah. And I'm pretty sure that the World Economic Forum um, is in there somewhere. Gavi is funded and partnered by the same networks or network that forms the GHLLDVC with some noticeable additions, the World Bank and donor implementing country governments. The Gates Foundation is a primary sponsor, but is taught by the British government, which was instrumental in creating Gavi and is its largest donor. The British government is the largest donor to the GAVI organization. Um, oh, and there's a graph showing donor contributions for the period 2000 to 2020. Um, United Kingdom is the largest there. Uh, second biggest is, wow, that's, that's, is that missing? It, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, or is it on the left here? Oh, second biggest is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Third is the United States of America. Fourth is Norway. And then sort of equal fifth, we've got Monaco and France. Interesting. Okay. Because these, these people obviously care about your children's health, right? While many sectors of British society have seen their living standards plummet, with the elderly severely neglected, a national health service in decline and homelessness on the increase, the British government via UK aid has pledged 1.44 billion to Gavi for 2016 to 2020 and will be hosting the 2020 Gavi Pledging Conference, which is due to take place in June 2020 to mobilize at least 7.4 billion US dollars in additional resources to protect the next generation with vaccines, reduce disease inequality and create a healthier, safer and more prosperous world. All right, of course. The conference promises to bring together political leaders, civil society, public and private donors, vaccine manufacturers and governments to support Gavi. The Vaccine Alliance, which boasts that it has helped vaccinate almost half the world's children against deadly and debilitating infectious diseases. Um, yeah, well, it just boasts that, right? This claim will be met with praise from the pro-vaccine lobby, of course, but concerns over the efficacy and safety of these mass vaccination programs must be taken into account, particularly when being tested in poorer developing countries where, oh dear, the governments um, fought with the World Health Organization to try to stop it when they realized that a lot of the vaccines contained sterilants. Oh, and you think that was by accident, right? You think, you think. Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, helps vaccinate almost half the world's children against deadly and debilitating infectious diseases. Really? 
yeah, but, 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 but. The global vaccination market revenue worldwide is projected to reach 59.2 billion by 2020. Uh, Bill Gates himself has stated that it's a uh, uh, 20 to one profit that he makes on his investment in it, because it's a business in it. Uh, the number 20, sorry, 59.2 billion by 2020, and the number may well increase with the arrival of COVID-19. Um, the American government, in fact, just this last week, decided to invest $100 billion just this year in a vaccine program. I mean, a hundred billion, right? I mean, they've got no money for housing and welfare and schools and hospitals and um, helping the kids with education and nutrition and, and exercise, but um, they've got a hundred billion for vaccines. The British government's investment in Gavi alongside vaccine promoter Bill Gates must again raise the issue of conflicts of interest. To what extent is the British government protecting its own assets in forcing the lockdown upon its population? Vaccines are set to be a major source of income for the world's largest pharmaceutical corporations, and the British government is invested in that lucrative future. Uh, according to Bill Gates, when Melinda and I started this work more than a decade ago, we were inspired by the conviction that all lives have equal value. That's why his parents worked for Planned Parenthood, of course. So one of the first things we invested in was vaccines, which protect all children who receive them, no matter how rich or poor they may be. In short, vaccines work. Of course they do. He hasn't presented any statistics there. Um, he also has no epidemiological explanation of how the vaccines actually work better than natural immunity. The Gavi Replenishment Conference is to be hosted by a British government whose lockdown policy is effectively shattering the domestic economy and is collectively punishing the most vulnerable, vulnerable in British society. Almost said valuable there. When Bill Gates partnered with Gavi 20 years ago, he had been considering where to focus his philanthropy. Of course it's philanthropy when you're making a 20 to 1 profit, right? and was increasingly focusing on the power and potential of vaccines. It was Gates's substantial sponsorship that launched Gavi and 10 years later Gates launched his own vaccine decade plan for the 2010s. Um, look, if you've ever had a computer that's run a Microsoft system that's got a virus, you know, come on, think about it. The Global Vaccine Action Plan, GVAP 2012-2020, to endorsed by 194 member states participating in the World Health Assembly 2012, is led by the same members of the Gates Vaccine Decade Consortium, promoted by the World Health Organization and brings together governments, elected officials, health professionals, academia, manufacturers, global agencies, research and development, uh, civil society, media and the private sector to promote global immunization. This is a profit-driven, profit-driven, profit-driven corporate complex harnessing the humanitarian sector to lend credence to the claims of philanthropy, or more realistically, 
philanthrocapitalism. There's a word. Hmm. Uh, please note the crossover interests of people like Accenture, Gavi and the Rockefeller Foundation, not to mention Microsoft and IDO.org. At a glance, just a glance at the partner page of the Gavi website reveals that not only is Gavi heavily invested in immunization campaigns, it is also closely connected to the Gates, Microsoft and Rockefeller seed-funded ID2020 project, the Digital Identity Alliance, which incorporates Accenture, Microsoft, IDEO.org and the Rockefeller Foundation into the Gavi Alliance, all with ties to the ID2020 initiative. ID2020 is promoting the concept that there is a need for universal biometric verification because to prove who you are is a fundamental and universal human right. You what? As asserted on the ID2020 website. An article by journalist Kurt Nemo for Global Research dismantles the humanitarian alibi for tyranny. Off-grid healthcare explains what they really want is a fully standardized data collection and retrieval format, and I would add instant retrieval format, and cross-border sharing of identities of the entire population of the planet in order for the standalone AI-powered command center to work without a hitch and for purposes of calculating everyone's potential contribution and threat to the system. Hmm. Do you want me to read that again? What they really want is a fully standardized data collection and retrieval format and cross-border sharing of identities of the entire population of the planet in order for the standalone AI-powered command center to work without a hitch and for purposes of calculating everyone's potential contribution and threat to the system, because they know how much you're going to be able to contribute. Nemo describes the potential for COVID-19 to be used as cover for mandatory biometric ID. An April article carried by Reuters confirms the suspicion that biometric ID might soon be introduced, ostensibly to help verify those who already had the infection and ensure the vulnerable get the vaccine when it is launched. This may sound perfectly sensible to those out there who are buying the government strap lines on COVID-19, but as Nemo warns us, COVID-19 is the perfect Trojan horse, the perfect Trojan horse for a control freak state itching to not only micromanage the lives of ordinary citizens, but also ferret out critics and potential adversaries and punish them as enemies of the state. Prashant Yadav, senior fellow at the US-based Center for Global Development, said biometric IDs can be a game changer. They can help governments target population segments, target population segments, e.g. healthcare professionals or the elderly population, and verify who have received vaccination and have a clear record. Such statements can be easily interpreted as the harbingers of mandatory vaccination and the inclusion of biometric ID in the humanitarian package. Martin Armstrong of Armstrong Technologies introduces an even more sinister projection into the mix. Armstrong talks about a digital certificate that verifies you have been vaccinated. 
developed by the Massachusetts in Massachusetts, excuse me, Institute of Technology, MIT and Microsoft, which will merge with the ID2020. COVID-19 will be exploited to encourage us to accept digital implants and tracking devices. Um, digital ink, I believe, is now uh, being tested that will enable authorities to use authorities to keep an eye on us. Armstrong argues that just as 9-11 conditioned us to accept x-ray booths at airports, now we will be chipped alongside our cats and dogs. But it's not going to be chipped in the way that you think, okay? At this point, it is worth remembering that UK aid is heavily involved in Gavi, and one presumes they are on board with the Digital ID2020 project. Rob Lawrence, director at UK-based Innovate Identity, presented proposals for the future of digital identity back in June 2019. The government verify scheme was identified as a fledgling version of the future of digital ID. Lawrence describes the digital ID ecosystem that is emerging. Oliver Dowden, British Minister for Implementation at the Cabinet Office, the British government's coordinating department, will form a new digital ID unit to pave the way for the government to consume digital identities from the private sector. I'll read that again. Pave the way for the government to consume digital identities from the private sector. Quote, unquote. Lawrence describes 2020 as the now or never year for government and industry to collaborate in the creation of an in <laughs> what is that an interoperable digital identity marker interoperable hmm. COVID-19 provides the opportunity that just might fulfill these predictions. Hmm. Anyway, it is no coincidence that a British startup, Microsoft-funded Onfido, has recently raised $100 million to boost its ID technology to enable the creation of immunity passports for governments battling coronavirus. In December 2019, researchers at MIT created a microneedle platform using fluorescent microparticles called quantum dots, which can deliver vaccines at the same time. Isn't that scary? <laughs> scary um i mean i just read through that right i mean let's read that again it is no coincidence that a british startup microsoft funded onfido has recently raised 100 million dollars to boost its id technology to enable the creation of immunity passports for governments battling coronavirus in december 2019 researchers at mit created a microneedle platform using fluorescent particles called quantum dots which can deliver vaccines at the same time invisibly encode vaccine history in the skin oh dear <laughs> must be and and invisibly encode vaccine history in the skin they're coming for everybody people the QDs can be detected by specially adapted smartphones. Yes, you're carrying your own prison with you. The new normal will mean we are tracked and monitored by our own communication systems, and we'll have to pay for it as well to an even greater and more intrusive extent. The future is being modeled, but not really for our benefit. Um, my intention here, writes the writer, has been to raise questions over who is driving the British government response to COVID-19. 
Those who have influenced the lockdown policy have a clear conflict of interest question mark over their agenda. The scientific clique influencing government decisions is one that is incorporated into a for-profit big pharma industrial network which will undeniably benefit from the measures being taken by the British government. A government that is financially embedded in the same complex. Oh yeah. So, why? <coughs> yeah, good question. Why? Why are the views of epidemiologists, doctors, scientists, analysts, health, health advisors who challenge the lockdown being ignored or censored by the media and by government? Why is the government not widening the circle of advisors to take into account those opposing perspectives that might bring an end to the misery that is a consequence of enforced quarantine? Off Guardian, a website that you can visit, has recorded these views, uh, three links titled here, here and here. <laughs> it is also worth following Swiss Propaganda Research, a webpage for regular updates on emerging analysis statistics and statistics that you will not always find in the mainstream. Uh, if you're watching the video, uh, I can, let's just click here and click here and maybe we'll be able to see where it takes us. Uh, the first link channels the, um, the stream that is the internet to offguardian.org uh, search term experts questioning the coronavirus panic. Um, for some reason it won't load up in Google. Oh, there you go. And uh, I know that it does contain uh, interviews and transcripts because I've had a look at it before. The second link takes you to swprs.org, a Swiss doctor on COVID-19. Right. Um, interesting how those web pages take quite a long time to load up. Meanwhile, I think it's quite clear lockdown is the world's biggest psychological experiment. Um, it's a live exercise, people. <laughs> it's a live exercise. You need to Google that term. Live exercise. Um, so, instead of helping, the British government is effectively endorsing the breeding of distrust in society, the erosion of public assembly, the isolation and state-sanctioned euthanasia of the elderly, the emerging police state, snitch lines, loss of dignity and livelihoods, greater dependency upon the state for survival, depression, suicide and voluntary incarceration. Though you won't see that on the news, just happens to be a fact. Right. Hmm. Uh, 31 deaths toll at Quebec nursing home and pandemic reflects global phenomenon. And if you remember at the start of this article, um, the government did not want to release the statistics of the deaths in care homes. I wonder why. I wonder why. You know, first they separate the families, right? That's how it works. Let's get the kids over here and the old people over there. And <laughs> and then they take the nuclear family and they, and they just explode it. They did blow it apart, right? So you've got single parent families where 
you need you need two parents. One parent can't do the job. And I'm not saying that you're not able to do the job or capable of doing the job. I'm just saying that it's a job for two people, right? There's a reason for history, right? There's a reason for the religions and cultures having two people to do the job because this one person can't, right? I mean, it just they just can't. You've got to have someone to look after the kids while you go out and do something else. It's just reasonably sane, practical and logical. The UN has issued a warning <laughs> that the economic downturn could kill hundreds of thousands of children in 2020. And it will, they'll starve to death, not to mention the vulnerable people suffering in third world countries already. A minimum of three, at this moment in time, as I'm reading this, a minimum of 300,000 people extra, extra, die a day at this on top of the million right so uh, due to the knock-on economic effects and most of these are vulnerable people children women etc the UN has issued a warning that the economic downturn could kill hundreds of thousands of children in 2020 gates the World Health Organization the British government and UNICEF are focused on global immunization for a pandemic that's not living up to the alarmist virtual projections sponsored by Gates and the big pharma complex. While children really, unfortunately, will start to die from malnutrition, neglect and a myriad of consequences of extreme poverty generated by the steepest downturn since the Great Depression of the 1930s, all orchestrated by government. And the one single role of government is to ensure that commerce can take place and government has done the opposite. Therefore, you do not anywhere have a valid legitimate government right now. Um, um, there's, there are some tweets added uh, by the author at the bottom. Uh, tweet number one, uh, in, in addition, let me be clear, I defend my right to decide my future without interference or dictates from a government that has no interest in the well-being of the planet, let alone little old me. To that end, I will resist anything being made mandatory that has the potential to damage point two my health or my privacy my freedom my my network uh, my dissidence and ability to move freely in the long term should also not be interfered with these governments have effectively conducted global genocide against I think all groups and all types of people um, strong statement to make but it's backed up with a lot of evidence. Remember that this is just part one. This is just part one. The article that I'm referring to was published in the UK column.org. It has the title Who Controls British the British Government and Their Response to COVID nineteen. It was published on Wednesday the twenty second of April twenty twenty. Whatever your opinion, you can argue with the facts that the response has been disproportionate to the problem. The response has been disproportionate to the problem. Therefore, the reaction to the response must also be disproportionate if we wish to 
maintain the freedoms that we have enjoyed for so long. My name is G. I represent the Academy. You can find out more information about me on Facebook um, or any of the other global social surveillance platforms, Twitter, Instagram. The Academy of Language Therapy and Life Coaching pumps out daily videos on YouTube that are mirrored on other platforms as well. Please share if you care and remember if you don't stand up for freedom then you don't know if you have any freedom. Have a great day, take care and don't forget to tell the ones that you love that you love them while you can. Now is the time. Now is the time.